0: Well, it is very interesting, I must say. Now, you're familiar with Harper's Island Wetland Reserve in Cork Harbour Nile. Oh, very much so. One of my favourite places. It's a great spot, particularly at this time of year. It's full of those black-tailed godwits from Iceland and we have loads of widgeon there. Great for kingfishers, all sorts of birds. Fantastic place. Do you know what was there before the wetland reserve? Ooh, I can't, can't say I do. No, I'm sorry. And more accurately, do you know what was there before the water formed the estuary? We're going way back then. I way, think I way back. I don't. No, sorry. Well, we're about to find out. Let's go now to Cork and say hello to Jim Wilson. Jim. <laughs> well, thanks, Derek. I'm here
1: with Professor Robert Devoy. <laughs> He's a professor of physical geography from University College Cork. And I've come to pick his brains about the estuaries on which all our lovely wetland birds survive. And there appears to be a lot more going on or has gone on below the surface of our wetlands than you might actually think. Robert, thanks for giving me your time. And uh, I think the first question is, when we look out on an estuary like Cork Harbour, where we are at the moment, has it always been like that?
0: No, it hasn't. (laughs) There's change and change. I suppose a a basic point about all coasts is... By definition, they change. Uh, And over 10,000 years, one would see huge changes in the position of our estuaries, uh, the shape of them, and of course all coastal lands similarly would have changed. And why 10,000 years? Why did you pick that figure? 10,000 years, good question. uh, Because that's really taken as the benchmark of the ending of the last glacial stage, when sea levels were really low, uh, below the present-day shorelines. And they would, f- around our island, uh, have been around 60 to 70 meters 10,000 years ago, beneath where they are today.
1: 60 or 70. So we had
0: 60 meters oh, of goodness. sea level rise uh, across our continental shells to our present-day shoreline.
1: So I mean, with climate change and the, the you know the talk about the sea levels rising. <laughs> Uh, sixty to seventy meters is like you know a phenomenal amount, and so it's probably very appropriate that we're discussing the history of sea level and 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 how climate has affected that as well. If we want to learn about it, what is the best way of going about learning about the past about what a coastline was like what, how would you go, how would you go about it
0: The point that you made a moment ago uh, about into the future with climate change is that we could be looking at many metres more sea level rise and again, of course, major changes to all coasts, but particularly estuaries where they are already flooded. They are the margins of our present-day um, shorelines and they continue to receive water every day. Mm-hmm. So they're part of that their waterland, that semi-terrestrial waterland environment that, that we have. And they're going to change even more as those sea level signals come in from the melting of Greenland and the melting of the southern Antarctic uh, ice sheets on into the future. So we could see many more. Um, if you press me, I can tell you how many more meters, but then I've got into trouble about that in the past. Um, but certainly, we will have sea level rise. Right. So, how we learn, coming back to that question, is much more. I think yes. Let's look at the past. Let's look at how our sediments have built up within the estuaries, within to to create our wetlands, um, and that is part of a, a part of. Um, Sedimentological science, uh, geomorphological science, the study of the shape and form of the earth, um, where we're looking at paleoenvironmental reconstructions.
1: And, and if you were to put that into layman's terms, paleo-environmental reconstructions?
0: Very simply, just ancient environments which we build up again, we reconstruct them from the sediment record. Every time a tide comes in, Mm -hmm. it brings sediments with it, which is ground-down rock material from our outer coastal areas or the offshore shelf areas. So as a
1: result of um, wave action and things like that? Wave action,
0: rivers coming in from the land, of course, bring sediments from the land, Mm -hmm. ground-down rock material from the land, Mm -hmm. um, which goes out onto the continental shelf. Mm -hmm. But for a period of time, that's where our estuaries are important, that sediment takes a rest. It stops in the estuary and it settles to the bottom of the estuary, and then along comes a storm or a flood from the landward side, and some of that sediment gets moved on again. Okay. Or we get a bigger sea level change, and so the sediment is eroded and moved again to a new location. So the sediments have a record of where they've come from and where they're going to. So that's the environmental bit, is looking at particularly, of course, the the past stored record. Before change happens, everything is zeroed and you move to the next piece of record. But there are some places, like our estuaries, where there are long records which are very quiet. They don't change um, dramatically and they can contain long records before a big swing, such as a big sea level change happens and it's all eroded out. So we can find those records um, of sediment build-up then we can say, okay, for the last 10,000 years, the pattern of change has been this. Would the predictions for the future be based on or drawn
1: from the experience of studying the past?
0: Yes, that's, and that's really the connection to the interest in looking what will happen in the future from mathematical modelling of present day processes, which are, are the basis for our uh, projection models, Um, But in order to calibrate, to tune those models and check that they are correct, we need evidence of what happened in the past. And that's the classic connection. The past records provide the basis for interpreting the future projections.
1: I did read somewhere the reason why all these sediments from the rivers and the sea end up on the bottom of the the water in a harbour or the estuary or that? Mm. Is there something to do with the fresh meeting the salt? Is there some sort of chemical, physical reason why it ends up there?
0: Yes, there are. Um, All of those physical, chemical reasons come together to cause the sediment to drop to the bottom and stay there for as long as it It's able to Mm -hmm. uh, until some disturbing like current action or tidal action or wave action will disturb it. So that process of chemical change where particles club together called flocculation, Mm -hmm. lovely word. Yes, um, that happens because of a chemical change with the salt in the water, changing salinity in an estuary, of course, from highly saline to lower saline causes different flocculation rates. The size of the particles, of course, the heavier the particle, the bigger the particle, the faster it falls to the bottom. so the physical chemical uh, temperature parameters, all of those change the rate at which sedimentation takes place,
1: right, so it varies from place to place. so when I'm out studying the invertebrates or or the crustaceans in in a mud flat mm. and, and I stick my boot and I go down you know you know half a meter or whatever, mm. might that have taken hundreds or, or, or tens of years to, for that half meter of
0: mud? It depends where you are. Okay. If you're in Tralee, uh, for example, where there is a lot of Spartina, uh, which you, you'd be familiar with, a um, uh, core grass uh, yes. is, is extensively uh, building out on in, 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 into the wetland areas. Then it traps sediment around the base of those grasses. There are lots of grasses that do this, but Spartina is very aggressive. Uh, and so the rate of build-up, for example, around the Tralee Bay areas is is quite large. Um, so you're looking at 10, 15 centimetres per year. Wow. So your boot, of course, your yeah. leg may be about 30 centimetres yeah. above yeah. to the boot. Yeah. Um, so it could be only a couple of years. But if you go to other places with much slower rates, um, then you could be looking at 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Okay.
1: So now we're, we're going to talk about the work uh, that has been done and the proposed work to be done at Harpers Island Wetlands Nature Reserve, mm. Mm. which uh, some of our listeners uh, will be familiar with. We've been talking about the birds and the wildlife that are out there on mm. top of the wetland. And you might give us a little bit of a, a summary of what you've done so far and what you mm. hope to do and, and wh- why the interest in somewhere like harper's island which of course has an area that had a seawall put around it and it, you're quite excited about that it appears as if it, it's an opportunity to study the mm. history of the estuary where you might has easily got a chance
0: yes it's, it's a, a spot along the south coast where people really haven't spent much time um examining that That ancient, even historical history, let alone the ancient history, going back to that 10,000 years. There's been some work, but not a huge amount of work. When I first came to the department here in in UCC, um, then Cork Harbour was the first place I went to. And that was the work in the early, late 1970s, early 80s. And there hasn't been a huge amount of work on the Holocene sequences um, since which I, Holocene means sorry Holocene means that post-glacial period since ten approximately ten thousand years ago. Um, there's been a little bit, but not a huge amount. So Harper's Island, the opportunity to to do some um, deep excavations there, rather like the the tunnel excavations for the Jack Lynch Tunnel, which I remember doing and sampling. Um, and uh, those monolith tins are still in our cold store. <laughs> There are so many different things to do, we didn't get time to do much with it. But this section in Harper's Island provides a good opportunity to revisit that um, post-glacial story. Right. So we're looking at
1: the story of the estuary since, uh, as you explained at the start, uh, roughly 10,000 years ago, which was when really the last ice age started Mm. to uh, recede and and, and
0: come in. From that that earlier work, we do have good indication that around 8,000 years ago, uh, the sea level as intertidal areas were around about minus 15 metres below our present day shoreline. 8,000 to 8,500 years ago. So a high
1: tide 8,000 years ago would have been about 15 metres lower, lower than what it is now. Yes, exactly. That's 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 quite, so. Again, that, that's amazing. Uh, so. I know uh, for geology and, and geography, these thousands and tens of thousands and millions of years seem much shorter mm. to you than to the ordinary uh, everyday person where that's a long time ago and that's mm. a lot of time. But of course, mm. when you add it up, it, it builds a way up along. Mm. So you're down in Harper's Island and you you have this opportunity to peer into the dim distant past Mm. of the estuary and find out all about uh, how it got to where it is now.
0: Yes, and it, it will provide a way to look at that future picture uh, by understanding the rate at which change can happen, that balance between the build-up of sediments, which we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. and the addition of water into the oceans, mm-hmm. and the deepening of the water column mm-hmm. as sea level rises. Mm-hmm. And of course that's been going on all the time through, in a recent geological time, mm-hmm. the last 10,000 years. And so understanding the rate at which it happens, the patterns of change that result can, can be exposed from looking at these past records. Okay. In Cork Harbour it's particularly significant because the changes of sea level have been recorded there for at least 350,000 years. We have interglacial records which almost nowhere else in northwest Europe has. Those have been investigated, which was a distraction from the Jack Lynch tunnel, um, (laughs) where we had much deeper boreholes that took us down to, at Roach's Point, for example, below minus 30 metres, where we have records of that ancient um, last interglacial. In other words, we had the last glaciation, and before that we had a long, warm phase, mm-hmm. which is like our present-day climate, and that's called an interglacial. Right. So we have preserved in Cork Harbour, probably, although we can argue about the dating, um, probably the last interglacial is recorded there. And it's almost a complete sequence from that early flooding in as the ice-melted sea-level rose rose, and the build-up of the wetlands of the last interglacial over 115,000 years ago. So it's exciting now to sort of bring the whole story up to the present day by looking at places like Harper's Island in Cork Harbour.
1: I was away working uh, during the summer and I was deep green with envy when I saw the photographs of you. You're, you're down in a, a huge hole out on the wetlands. These are the test pits mm. that you were digging up just to get a, a first idea of, of what, what it was like. So, Can you describe roughly what you found just by looking at uh, those test pits and going you know, yep. four metres down into, into the ground and then what you would hope to do going forward?
0: Yeah, I mean, we had a great opportunity of being able to bring uh, a JCB, um, a digger, down onto site in order to, to uh, develop uh, uh, wading areas for, for birds. And, and um, that was the, the focus of getting digging going on. Uh, and we could, of course, then dig much deeper. So we started at the contemporary, the modern day shoreline on Harpers Island, which was a very shallow hole in the ground, a pit. These things are always called by a technical name. Well this is a very simple technical name, it's a pit. So we had four pits that went from the, the present day shoreline out into the deep estuary area. Um, and so the first one was around about a metre deep, and going from the modern day beach gravels mm-hmm. uh, to the old glacial gravels that underlie the whole site of the offshore areas of Harpers Island, um, which is the modern day wetland area
1: right which is which is the area we were talking about just to get a vision for the the listeners that's inside the sea wall. Yes. so like you didn't have yes. to put on scuba gear no. or go out in the boat no. because the beauty of it was the whole area had been enclosed had been reclaimed and, and there's plants yes. and everything on top yes. so yes, yeah, yes. It,
0: and it, the birds have their, their habitat the, uh, that's and, right and their waiting areas yeah. there but so
1: you were using that opportunity to be able to get the JCB in there yep. uh, so it made it much easier to do yes. and then you dig down and you find found some interesting
0: things? Yeah, into our pit too, which was around 30 metres from the shoreline. um, We discovered uh, a very thick um, peat, uh, a a grass-based peat initially. And then as we go deeper, the peat becomes a wood-based peat. And then we're into the glacial gravels underneath. So what that peat shows us is that um, before sea level overtook the site and developed the, the modern-day estuary, there was a, a woodland forest, a, a shrubby woodland, um, dominated by hazel and oak and willow. Uh, those sorts of trees, which are very common today, they started to grow as the water table rose mm-hmm. under rising sea level. And that's the first indication. Uh, sea levels rise Starts the water, the freshwater table to to rise as well, which allows plants to grow in profusion. Wow. And so we had a, a really quite a thick um, forest, mm-hmm. uh, which would have become rapidly a swampland, and this as, would be as the sea level as rose. As the sea level rose, yeah. and it was still um, freshwater uh, mm-hmm. before the sea level actually overtook the whole site and developed uh, a marine environment. And, of course, that was the end of the woodland peat at that stage. But the indication that that process was happening is the change from that wood peat uh, to the grass peat, dominated by sedges and grasses. And these tall, they're called reeds, but it's Phragmites, which you find all the way around our coastlines, Phragmites australis.
1: What would you like to do next? Oh
0: dear, that was the, that's it that's a Aladdin's cave question. What wouldn't we like to yeah. do? Yeah,
1: Christmas is just gone. So <laughs> if you had to get yes. in a late present uh, for from Santa, what what would you what would you be? Asking well, the first thing
0: that? is we we will have submitted before just around about now um, that wood peat and the grass, sage peats uh, for radiocarbon dating. So the first thing would be some some good dates coming back from our radiocarbon laboratory. Um, and I would Suspect that we're looking at something around about four and a half thousand years old uh, of that wood peat. Just mm-hmm. judging from the knowledge of the, the, the layers around core carbon that, that, that we do have. Mm-hmm. Um, but above that, uh, as we go into the uh, above peat areas, as the sea flooded in across that swampland area um, where alder and oak would have been growing, mm-hmm. uh, the, the estuary developed. And it would have been a brackish water, not probably full marine.
1: So um, half fresh, so half salt. Yes, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. And and increasing salt as yeah. the sea level continued to rise. Mm-hmm. Um, and into that series of clay and silt building up, uh, there would have been times when either because the sedimentation was so fast that uh, plants could migrate back into the area and build up salt marsh areas. Uh, and sometimes the the sedimentation was... Fast enough to develop further on from salt marsh into that sort of uh, Phragmites reed swamp uh, mm-hmm. again. And so it would have been sort of a semi terrestrial to waterland environment, but not fully flooded all the time. So we have indications above those in pit two and in pit three, in, deeper into the Harper's Island area, of these interleavings of times when either because sediments build up fast or that sea was rising fast enough to overtake uh, that rate of sedimentation. Mm -hmm. And so you had deeper water conditions developing and then sea level paused for a period of time. The rise paused uh, and sedimentation could catch up again. And you had land, as it were, waterland, wetland building up in in these areas. So we have these interleavings of organics, which provide, of course, basis for carbon dating. So we can see that pattern just from the stratigraphy. There's another word we haven't used up to now, but the stratigraphy simply means the sequence of sediment layers Mm -hmm. from the past to the present.
1: So that's a bit like the, the rings in a tree. You're, yes. you're kind of you can tell a lot from studying those, just, layers, just those, the la- just those the layers, those different, those just those layers. Well, but, well, going back to your
0: question about yeah. what else would we like to yes. do, then looking at the silt and the clay and the peat, uh, we can look at the microfossils contained within um, those sedimentary layers, from the peat through to the silts and clays, and uh, we can look at the pollen, which gives us the vegetation. That's one thing we will do for our 2023. And students from UCC, I'm sure, will be doing this uh, as part of their master's course in in coastal environments and management in UCC there in geography. Um, Also then looking at the water story. For example, we can look at the shells that are recorded in... And you can see the macrofossils of shells like Scribicularia, uh, very, very visible in the silts and clays of, of the Harper's Island sequence. Um, and then the microfossils that you can't see so easily with a naked eye, but you can under a microscope. So to look at different sorts of shells, to look at Foraminifera, which are very small, less than 500 uh, microns mm-hmm. in size, so half tiny. a, a millimetre, tiny, mm-hmm. tiny. Uh, and pollen, as I said, would be even smaller than that. But the waterland story would be more from diatoms. Okay. So looking at the diatoms, which are plants, um, unicellular simple algae that are in the water column, mm-hmm. and you'd find them in wherever there's water, you will find diatoms on the land, in the oceans, wherever. And that provides us a good signal of the salinity change. So we can see the pattern of marine to fresh water recorded in that Harpers Island sequence. And that tells us something about the pattern of sea level change, which brings us back to thinking and understanding how the future pattern under continuing rises of sea level will take place.
1: Well... Robert, <laughs> I, I think I'll never look at an estuary uh, around Ireland in the same way ever again. It's, it's just mind blowing. And even thinking about you're talking about the micro fossils and the macro fossils, you know, what sort of wildlife, what sort of birds and everything w- would have been around. And obviously, it, it changed over time. And I'm just so excited that right on our doorstep, we have this resource that we can now tap into uh, and something that can teach us about our past, but also about the future of our coastal wetlands and estuaries. Mm-hmm. We look forward to uh, the work and I hope your wishes come true from what you want to do down in Harpers Island. And we'll, we'll come back at a later time mm-hmm. and uh, find out how you're doing. And I know that your colleague, Aaron Lim, in the... Geography department is very interested as well, and uh, will be will be doing a lot of work uh, along with yourself and the department.
0: A year's th- time.
1: Th- th- yes. Listen, thanks for your time. Pleasure. Uh, it's been fantastic. Thank you Thank very you. much.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks, Jim and Robert Devoy at University College Cork. That's all we have time for today. Visit the website anytime you like, rte.ie forward slash Mooney. My thanks to Ayn and Ilana, Richard Collins, Terry Flanagan, and Niall Hatch. Our broadcast coordinator is Jarlif Holland, and our researcher is John Bella Riley. We'll do it all again next week. Until then, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Email mooney at rte.ie.